It's an amazing gift to us, God's words. And so we're going to spend a bit of time reading Joshua 1. And we're going to have a little think about why have we decided to talk about this book? What's this all about? Like, What is the story of Joshua? Where does it fit? Um, but before we do so, part of our meetings, we want to spend initially by gathering to God. We don't just want to gather a crowd. We want to gather to God himself. It's so good to be reminded again, God's with us. He's here. He's amongst us. And when we gather in this way, we come collectively to say we encounter the same living God together. We worship the same king. We give our lives to him once again. And so we spend that. We spend that time of singing and prayer and listening to one another. But it's such an important part of what we do, which is to commune with each other. And the reason that we have communion available, the reason that we break bread is because we want to be reminded that we are a people. We collectively come to the same table. We eat, there's, there's no Waitrose food here as opposed to Iceland sandwiches that get provided. There's no, there's no differentiation between the body that is provided on our behalf. There's no M&S breaking bread and just, just you know, the scraps that get left over someone else. We all come to receive from the table, receive of the same saviour that has given his life for us. And so just as I'm preparing now, I just want us to break bread with each other. I'm not going to lead us through in that part. If you're a Christian here today, you know this. You know that you come to the table and the way that you remember Christ is through a meal with your friends. You are free to do that now. If you're not yet a Christian, just sit amongst the people amongst you and observe what's going on or, or just say, hey, can I just, can I just pray with you for a little bit? But until you've accepted Christ as your saviour, actually there's this little part where you're saying, this is how I accept him. I accept him by the receiving of bread and the drinking of wine in remembrance of Christ that has done these things on my behalf. So why don't you spend a few minutes now, people around you, pray together, break bread, talk to each other, prophesy for one another, pray big prayers of healing into each other's lives. Enjoy the fact that you are part of the body of Christ this morning. You're with your brothers and sisters in him and you're coming to the table to receive God's goodness towards you. Go for it. Be released. Hallelujah. Thank you that you're the one that set us free. Thank you that you're the one that is our living hope. Thank you, Lord, as Sally said, you're the one that is true for us now, that keeps us secure in this life. And God, you're the one that calls us in the life that is yet to come. And the people of God together can say, Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. We're God's people. He's about a great work. He loves to be at work amongst us. You know, when we gather like this, the Holy Spirit loves to glorify the Son. So we, that's what happens when you're in moments like this. The Holy Spirit loves to draw our attention towards the Son, Jesus. The one who has the name that is above every name. The one who has all honour and glory is his. The one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. The one who is at the very centre and fulcrum of all of human history. The Holy Spirit loves to draw us towards Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised that our regular habit in our gatherings like this is to constantly be besotted about the one that has done it on our behalf. That we talk about him, can't help talking about him, can't help have our gaze caught up by him, we can't help but want to shout his name out because Jesus is what this is all really about. Getting to know him, being loved by him, knowing that he's our king, he's our saviour, he's the victorious one. It's so interesting because we're going to spend sort of three months really in this book in the Old Testament called Joshua, but what you'll notice is so much about Joshua isn't really about Joshua. It kind of is. 
It's about a, a character and we're going to think, where does he fit into the, the big story of redemption that Clive drew out? And you saved me five minutes of preaching, which is, you know, maybe you did it on purpose. But, <laughs> but like part of it is that it's not really about Joshua. The book, all, all the book, every part of this, this beautiful gift towards us of God's word is to draw us towards the one of who, who all human history is all about. And so you could call it the Joshua generation or you could say this is all about being the Jesus generation. We're the Jesus people. We're the people in which he's our great leader. He's our great captain. He's the one who leads us out of wandering around desert places into all that he's called us towards. And so you're going to start seeing it. This is part of a story of a group of people who had to live and experience a period of exile. Exile just means being being away, wandering, kind kind of thinking, I feel this is a bit aimless. We're sort of just circling round and round and round in the maze, but where are we ultimately trying to head towards? And God's people had to spend 40 years in that period of exile. Praise God, you know, a year and a half of COVID's been tricky enough of trying to navigate through this kind of aimless wandering. Actually, it's the thing of the whole of our lives sometimes. I don't know what age or what stage in your life you first felt like you came out of exile and into the promises of God, but that's kind of all of human history is about, it's about doing that. It's about being a group of people who kind of don't really know what's the point of this. Where am I heading? Where am I trying to get to? Where's life ultimately leading me towards until the very day that you meet Jesus? And the very day that you meet Jesus, all of a sudden it's like, you're not in exile anymore because you're home. (laughs) You've met me. I'm the great, I'm the the saviour. I can lead you into not just a life now and feeling as if you're no longer just walking through the aimlessness of life, but into all of the promises that I have for you. And there's interesting little, we'll notice this throughout the Bible, there's these little ripples that just seem to happen time after time after time again. And so there's little ripples that happen through the story before Joshua that then ripples through into the way that Joshua leads the people or the experiences that Joshua goes through. But then as you start to listen, you think, hang on a minute, they sound like the ripples for us as well. Sounds like my own life of following Jesus follows this same like little ripple and echo effect that seems to have happened in Joshua's life too. And again, why? Because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And actually all of this is about being led through from the very beginning of God's great story of redemption, of restoring relationships between himself and people all the way through until the day that he returns and he says, there is now a new heavens and a new earth. And relationship between me and my people has been completely restored. And we now get to live in the good of that. We're in this moment of living, waiting for the end to come. That's good for us to know. So could you just chuck up? This is a, just a little sort of visual image. If you've got a little slide just of these bits of God's big story of redemption that goes across, or God's big picture. Have we got that there? Hey, here we go. So this is actually a little bit, it's actually as Clive was speaking, I just want us to understand where does Joshua fit into the big story of God's rescue plan? God wants to draw people back towards himself. And so at the very beginning and essence of what this is all about is that God is love. There is a loving relationship between the Trinity himself, Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. They love one another. And out of that love, they produce the heavens and the earth. They produce all of mankind and we come into relationship with God. So if you go on to the next slide, you just, yeah, we'll keep ticking along here. So there's relationship that's created between God and his people. Relationship out of a love that God has for himself. And actually, that's a beautiful release, in fact, because God doesn't need us. 
We are not necessary for the love of God to exist. God already was love before humans were ever created. Yet we were those that he chose to create for his goodwill and purpose and to declare, you're good. Humanity is good. People are good. Have you lost a little bit of confidence in humanity over the, <laughs> recently? <laughs> Have you? Yeah. But humanity is good. People are good. God has made them in his image and he rejoices in them and he loves them. Therefore, every human created in the image of God carries dignity and respect. At its absolute base level, we're created by the loving God who creates us for a relationship with him. But as with all stories, relationship becomes broken. We don't need to go into all part of it, but the story goes that there is now a broken relationship between God and his people. That was intended for a relationship at the beginning to be in love with one another, become separated. And all of a sudden we find that that's the breakdown. You start reading Genesis and you realise that is where the story ends up of a broken relationship between God and his people. But remember, that is not the end. God's desire is always to draw his people back into relationship. And so how does he go about doing that? We start to rule relationship by making covenant promises with a group of people. God is about a people. It's not just about places. He's about people. He loves you as a people. And he begins by saying, I'm going to make some promises, some contractual covenant promises with these people. And I'm going to say, you're my people and I'm your God. And you're going to believe and obey the covenant promises that I make. And I'm going to bring them to you through the giving of the law. So those tablets are trying to represent there. I'm going to teach you the way to build healthy human relationships with one another. I'm going to give you my law. I'm then going to speak to you through the prophets. I'm going to, I'm going to speak that. The act of the word of God is going to speak into your lives. And you're going to hear God speaking into your situation. And I'm going to have a bunch of priests who are going to operate amongst you. They're going to represent me to the people. They're going to come before and into my presence and they're going to represent you on... on, on, on um, they're going to represent the people on their behalf before God. So God starts doing it through restoring these covenants and setting them in place, giving them his law, speaking through the prophets and having a role of priests that represent him. And this is starting to happen just before Joshua. And this is all about trying to rescue God's people and bring them back to himself. And this is kind of where we find ourselves. Because Moses was one of these prophets who were there and they were speaking to God's people. And yet standing alongside him, Aaron is this priest who's trying to represent God's people towards them. And he starts to set out tribes that are there. And each of these tribes are fulfilling each of these parts. But their ultimate aim and purpose is to restore relationship between God and his people. But ultimately, they're just wandering. The part of their story is they find themselves in a place called Egypt. And as they come out of Egypt, the Egypt rescue plan was pretty quick. God was able to draw his people out of Egypt pretty quickly. Really, he had to work on Pharaoh's heart. He had to release them through plagues and signs and wonders of saying, I'm the sovereign God. These are my people. I'm bringing them back to myself. They're not yours anymore, Pharaoh. I'm bringing them back to myself. And he draws them out. And if you know the story, God draws them out and he draws them across the sea. And the, the way is made and the, the, the waves part. And God's people walk free from Egypt. But what you notice is that the rescue of God's people out of a geographical position was pretty quick. But getting Egypt out of his people took 40 years to do that. Getting God's people out of Egypt was very quick. But getting Egypt out of God's people took him 40 years. 
That can be so true of our own lives. And again, these are these little ripples that exist. These little ripples where you think, actually, your day of salvation, the day that you met Christ, the day that you started to be restored into this rescue plan of God, that you started to realise that your relationship was repaired between God, might have been a very, very quick moment. Might have been a moment in which you just fell to your knees and said, Christ, you're mine. I accept you. I love you. You're my saviour. I give my life to you. I repent for the things that I've done wrong and I put my hope and trust in you. And in an instant, in a moment, Christ in his goodness rescues us and draws himself draws us back towards himself but what you'll notice is then getting Egypt out of you takes a whole lifetime (laughs) getting you out of Egypt getting you out of the things of this world can be very quick but getting the world out of you takes a life and the bible word is like sanctification it's like this process of going through and going I know that I've been changed but I'm not yet as I hope that I one day will be God is kind and gracious towards us and actually this is what God's people have just been doing So when we pick up Joshua, we start realising that actually what's happened is God is starting to repair this relationship between him and his people, but he's got to get this lifestyle of living out of them. They still long for what it used to be like in Egypt. They still wish they could go back and eat the cucumbers because they used to taste so nice. I remember I was a slave, but I like the cucumbers. I wish I was back there because at least there we were looked after and now we're just aimlessly wandering around a desert. And then God says, but my presence is with you. I'm guiding you by my presence. I'm providing for you, even in the desert places. I'm providing water from rocks. I'm providing shoes that never run out. I'm providing manna that gets provided every single morning for food and provision for you. I'm giving you quails that you can eat. And God's people are still saying, oh, but what about the old life that we had? Does that, does that ripple in us sometimes as well? Like, so you constantly walk through this thing, you're thinking, God's rescued me, he's drawn me out of this old life, and yet sometimes I still long for the things that I once had, forgetting that I have the presence of God that is still with me, and he's provisioning into my life every single day. If you've woke up today with oxygen in your lungs, praise God, that's the provision of God for you. He's provided you with oxygen in your lungs today. He's provided you with a great burning ball of gas that's sitting in the sky that is ensuring that there is light in this earth because the provision of God still remains to this very day. And actually we constantly come round in these circles of saying, God is drawing me back to himself. Praise God that he has done it, but yet he is constantly trying to change and transform me. And this is where we speak into the Joshua generation. Joshua is then called into this position of leadership to a group of people that have been wandering aimlessly throughout desert places and now they're being called into a new land. They're being told, the promises of God have now been made to you. Do you believe my promises? Do you believe the promises that are made? Andrew, where, where is Andrew sitting? Andrew, so here you are shrinking in your chair. But to hear you this morning, Andrew was calling out the promises of God that have been made to us. And what did he say he needed to do? He needed to believe the promises of God. He needed to believe them constantly into his life. And we need to be reminded of them regularly. God, you've made a promise. I'm going to believe the promises of God. So Joshua's trying to lead these people into the promises. I've given you a land, and we're going to read it in a second, Joshua 1. I've given you this land. I've called you for purpose and intention. I've called you to be a blessing to the ends of the earth. Are you going to believe those promises? Or you're not? All of us can be sitting here this morning and you can listen, even as we spend the next three months reading through some of the promises that God makes to his people, you can start hearing them for yourself personally. You can either believe the promises that God makes or you can choose not to believe them. 
That's called free will. It's actually how relationships ended up getting broken in the first place. Because God gave us the ability to choose to believe him or not. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've called me to a place where I believe the promises and I live in the good of them. But then not only is he calling them to believe this set of promises, he's also saying, are you going to obey my commands as well? Because I'm going to ask you to do things. I'm actually going to ask you to walk into the land. I'm going to ask you to cross the Jordan. I'm going to ask you to walk into the commands that I have for you. And again, you get to choose. You can be obedient or you can not be obedient. You're absolutely free to choose again. God gives us the ability to either choose to believe his promises and to obey his commands or to not do those things at all. It's absolutely fine. It's the choices that we're able to make. And we have one life, as Martin pointed to this morning, we have one life in which to live, in which we can choose to believe the promises of God and obey his commands, or we can choose to not believe the promises of God and not obey his commands. Simples. It's kind of the way that all of humanity has always been framed. And Joshua, again, just teaches us. Joshua is an incredible leader as he humbly shows people, hang on a minute, we need to believe the promises of God and obey his commands. He's not finished with us yet. He's got purpose and intentions for us, so he's going to lead us into these things. And we're going to touch on some of this stuff. So let me, let me read out some of the little, it's just like a little list, blow by blow, some things that we're going to find out over these next sort of few months together. We're going to realise that God's people, they were a people that were prepared for decades. They spent four decades wandering the desert. They were prepared, but when the time came, they were ready for action. We're going to be a people that are going to be reminded, we have been prepared for decades, but we are called to be ready for action into all that God has for us. There is a part of them where they start realising there is a deeper longing within God's people to say, we want to be set apart. We want to be different from the people of the land that we're going into. We don't want to be like everyone else. We want to be set apart because we're God's people. They're the themes that sort of appear in it. They as well, because they recognise that God's rescue plan isn't just about restoring relationships between God and his people. God's rescue plan is for the whole of the earth to be reclaimed and renewed. To make all of it as it once was in the very, very beginning. And so they realise actually paradise has been lost, but we have a role about stepping into the land and reclaiming it for the purposes of God. When you go, you go with the purposes of God in you and you go to reclaim the land. To preach it and proclaim it, not just in a building like this. That's why church is never about gathering in a building. It's about the people of God being on a mission to reclaim the land in which he has given us. And to preach the good news to the poor. And to bind up the brokenhearted. And to proclaim the kingdom of God that is forcefully advancing here in this life now. We go on to say this. We are those that are called to go. We're not meant to just sit and wait. The rescue plan of God is not just hoping we'll sit and weigh it out. We'll make it to the end and hopefully we'll still be here and Jesus will come back. No, we go because we follow the commands of God. We believe his promises and we go with good news to the very ends of the earth. It's the sort of people that we're prepared to be. They've been given a baton to go with. And you realise actually part of the reason they had to wander for so long is because God offered them a baton and said, do you want to walk into the land? And they said, oh, no, no, no. There's giants in that land. That can't be for us. They were afraid. And so they wandered because they were afraid. And God had to work and prepare them until they were ready to go and believe the promises. They took hold of the baton. 
They didn't wait for the next generation to take it. They said, I'm taking hold of the baton that God has given me now and I'm walking into it because they are called to be strong and courageous. God speaks words like that into their lives. You are a strong and courageous people. Not because you're impressive, but because I'm God's and you're my people. So my strength is your strength. Your courage comes from me. You're secure in knowing that you're mine. And so they go as a strong and courageous people. They take new grounds. We're going to spend some weeks with characters like Caleb that say, I'm not finished yet. Give me another hill, God's. God, I'm not finished yet. I want another hill to take. Lord God, I've got more that's still left for me until my dying day, till the day that you call me home, I'm following you. I'm sold out for you, Lord God. Until I burst through the finished tape of glory, I'm a Caleb kind of person that says, give me another hill, Lord God. I'm not done. We're going to talk about this idea that we shoulder responsibility alongside one another and we follow in the footsteps of one who's already gone on our behalf. We talk about this idea that we are warriors for Christ. Actually, that involves action, involves aggression, that involves noise and, and being bold into circumstances and situations and speaking up and not being silent in, in places by saying, actually, we're going to go because there are people's lives that need to be changed and transformed and encountered by meeting Christ for them very selves. We're going to think about this whole idea that actually God is about a great work and he wants to work in and through us as his people. So let's read together. It's the sort of stuff that we're going to cover, but we're going to read just today, Joshua 1. So this is it. Joshua 1 says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So we're starting to get a little bit, we're getting a bit of story now. We realise, who is Joshua? He is, you can answer it, he's Moses' assistant. He's faithfully been working alongside Moses, seeing the way that he leads the people, but now Moses is dead. It's Joshua's time. Joshua stands forwards and God calls him and God says, arise. And what does he ask him to do? He says, go over the Jordan, cross over this little bit of water that sits between you and the lands that you're about to take. Here's a, note, here's a first little ripple. What was one of Moses' first thing to do to leave Egypt? To cross the sea. To get out of Egypt, they had to cross the sea and leave Pharaoh behind. What's one of Joshua's very first things to do? To walk into the land? To cross the sea? What's one of the very first things that we get called to do when we're followers of Jesus? Repent and be baptised. That's an interesting ripple. That's all I'm going to say. Seems like there's this ripple of crossing over the water. There's something of leaving behind the old... And walking into the new. And God did it through Moses. And he calls Joshua into it. And he calls you into it as well. He calls you into a place of crossing over from the old and into the new. And leaving it behind. It's the other side of the water. The waters separate us. 
Just ripples that start to exist. So he starts to see this. But then he starts making promises to Joshua. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you just as I promised to Joshua. Now Joshua can believe that or not. Joshua can say, I don't know if he really means it. How did the relationship between God and his people break in the very first place? God made them promises, but who starts speaking into humans' ears and saying, did God really say that? Who is that? Satan, the enemy. Because the enemy loves to trick us away from the promises of God. Did God really promise that to you? Is that really what God called you into? I don't know if he did. Actually, we've got to believe the promises and then not just believe them, but walk in them. Because every place that our foot treads, it gives us the land. Let's keep going. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the lands of the Hittites to the great sea towards going down to the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Because just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to all the law. That's one of the ways of God restoring relationship, given the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn Uh, Sorry, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it all day and all night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Again, this law... Law is all about learning, and this is like this John Mark Comer word. We spoke about it last year. He writes this book about the ruthless elimination of hurry. And there's this idea that God's law, God's word, is about learning to go with the grain of the universe. When we start to walk in the ways that God teaches us to live, we find that things go well for us. Because actually there's this way of just going with God's, trusting in his promises, living according to his law. Again, that's something that we get to choose to do. You can choose to go against the word of God, go against the law that he has given to us, or you can choose to obey the commands that he makes and live in the good of that. So again, they're being reminded, walk in these ways. What does he say again? He then says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. Do you remember that? There was a kid's song that used to sing that. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Yeah, anyway. Um, Okay. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And the Reubenites, this is all these tribes that are there now, these are all the children of Jacob, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said to him, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and I will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that God has given you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valour among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord God gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. 
and they also take possession of the land that the Lord is giving to them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. That's some of God's word. So I just want to finish on this final thing. There is a balance in this God word of promises and commands. Did anyone pick up on any promises that were made to Joshua that was in there? There were promises like this. Wherever your foot goes, whatever land you walk into, I will give to you. No one will stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. These are promises that God makes to Joshua. And what does Joshua choose to do? He chooses to believe them. And as he believes the promises of God, he finds that he is strong and courageous because he believes in the one who makes the promise. I don't know if Joshua felt strong and courageous in himself, but he believed the one who is strong. He believes the one who gives all courage and he trusts in the promises. He believes. The second one is, what are some of the commands that are made to God's people or to Joshua? He says, lead these people. So Joshua leads. He goes around the group and he says, come on, this is what we're doing. We're going to cross the Jordan. Prepare yourselves. The men of valour are going to go first and they're going to make a way for us and we're going to stay in that land that God's given to us. So he obeys these commands. And then what does he do? We're going to find out. He actually goes. He starts to walk. It's not very good saying, oh, yes, Lord, I'm going to obey your commands. You want me to go in a minute. I'll just sit here for a bit longer. No, obedience is action. There is a balance of the Christian life, which is faith and obedience. Believe in the promises and living them out. Living out our Christian light of the world in which we live in. Actually, God, I can't remember who said this, but God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbour does. God doesn't need you to do these things. It's not like in doing them, you're saying, oh God, I'm sure that you need me to do these things. No, God says, I'll do it without you. But your neighbor, the world does. The world needs you to obey my commands and to go with good news and to love and to care and to serve because we go obedient to the promises of God in our life. So let me, these are some promises. I just said to Alan Stevens, who works alongside me here, he runs a group called Promises. They meet each week. I love our life groups that go on. I said to him, come on, Alan, give me three promises that Jesus makes me today. And he says to me, Ollie, you have died with Christ, therefore you are raised with him. He said to me, Ollie, you are seated, therefore, in heavenly places. He said, God is going to do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. He told me three promises and I can sit there and say, nice, or I can believe the promises. And I don't believe them because Alan said them. Alan's just a northerner who works in our offices here. But God's word is true and he, he brought them to me from God's word so I believe them because they're in the word of God and I believe the promise giver and then what am I going to do and then he, I said what are some commands that I've got to follow he tells me to forgive others he tells me to oh they've gone quiet 
Maybe the Holy Spirit, oh, here we go. He tells me to seek first the kingdom of God. He tells me to be prepared to give an account. They're commands. Now I can believe the promises and live in the good of them and I can also obey the commands. Am I going to forgive others as he's forgiven me? Am I going to seek first his kingdom or my kingdom? Am I going to be prepared to give an account or am I going to say, I don't really know why I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm sorry. These are commands of God and again, not to build guilt and condemnation into us, but say, no, no, God calls us into new life. He calls us to go, to take the land in which he's given. Church, this is why we wanted to speak on this sort of stuff. Because we want to learn from this Joshua generation. This is a three and a half thousand year old story that we believe we can learn from today. And the final thing I want to say, I want to get Andy's going to come up and pray for us. So I want to say that actually, the crazy thing about the Joshua generation, and like I said at the very beginning, really it's all about Jesus, is that in this moment here now, you know, I'm sure there's been leaders that have done this before. And I think it's a pretty dangerous way of reading the Bible sometimes. You know, I could stand at the front and say, you know, we're, we're leaders here. Joshua, we're, we're a Joshua generation. We're people that have been called to lead you. So I want all of you to say to me, all that we command of you, we will do. And wherever we tell you to go, you're going to go. That's a pretty bad way of using God's word. Because it basically makes it all about us. It's not about me. Remember, actually, whenever I listen to preachers and I think, am I David? I don't think I am David. Am I Joshua? I don't think I am Joshua. Am I Moses? I don't think I'm Moses. Because I get worried sometimes when I feel as if I'm trying to preach myself into this book. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the Joshua. Actually, Jesus is David. Jesus is Moses. Jesus is the great high priest that goes on our behalf. Jesus is the true prophet that represents us before God. Jesus is the real king that rules and reigns over all of his people. Everything else is just a shadow of Jesus himself because the whole of centre history, the whole thing is really about Christ. So when they say, and they answered Joshua, I want us to be a people who say, and they answered, yes, Jeshua, Jesus, they answered him, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Wouldn't that be an amazing group of people? Wouldn't we be an amazing generation if we lived our lives like that? Not for another leader, not for another representative, but for Christ himself. So as we go today, I've asked Andy just to come and pray. And I want us to go today saying, Jesus, all that you command of us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Amen. Amen. Feet. I'm going to read. I'm going to read some things over us as a church, and then I'm going to ask us, as a church, some questions. And if you are able to, and I encourage you to do this in faith, I want you to say, "We will." It's a response. It's a. It's a sense of Lord. I want to devote my heart to you, my life to you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to be obedient to your promises. So I'm going to read these things to you. I'm going to ask you these questions. And I encourage you to say, we will. It's that kind of declaration of intent. And I think there's something significant about it. 
And it's not something we often do as a church, but I think there's something that's significant in us doing that. So let me read these things over you. Since we have celebrated the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ over the powers of sin and death, and through the communion table we have proclaimed God's mighty acts, and we have prayed that the power of the Holy Spirit that was at work when God raised Jesus from the dead might also be at work in us. Here are the questions. As part of God's church here in Eastbourne, I call upon you to live out what you proclaim. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you dare to walk into God's future, trusting him to lead you into all his promises for you? We will. Do you get, do you get it? We will. I'm going to say that last section again. I want us to, to, to declare that again. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will, dare, will you dare to walk into God's future, trusting him to lead you into all his promises for you? We will. Will you dare to embrace each other and grow together in love as God's people, God's family? We will. Will you dare to share your riches and resources in common and minister to others who are in need? We will. Will you dare to pray for each other until your hearts beat with the longings of God? We will. Will you dare to carry the light of Christ into world's dark places? We will. You know what? We can get this louder we can be more convinced about. I'm going to say it again. Will you dare to carry the light of Christ into the world's dark places? Amen. May the spirit who hovered over the waters when the world was created breathe into us the life he gives. May the spirit who overshadowed the Virgin Mary when Jesus, God's son, came among us make us joyful in the service of the Lord. And may the spirit who set the church ablaze upon the day of Pentecost bring the world alive with the love of the risen Christ. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen.